Maybe this is why our heads and our hearts are separated by a neck which can turn in a different direction because my emotions will overwhelm me and my emotions are real and strong and no one can deny you your emotions and the way you are experiencing your pain. But see if you can't give thought to the what and the direction and the purpose because in the challenge lies your next move, lies your next journey in life. Hi, I'm Tanya, and you are listening to season two of Human and Holy, a podcast where we discuss spiritual ideas in human terms. Today's episode is sponsored by Eloy Nishmas Nechum Elazar Ben Yosef, in honor of his fourth yard site, by his daughter, Levana Duchman. Thank you, Levana, for making today's episode happen. The learning done through today's episode should be an aliyah for his neshama. To sponsor an episode or become a paying subscriber of the podcast on Patreon, which is an online platform where people can support the projects they love with a small monthly donation, please visit the link in the show notes, patreon.com slash human and holy, or email us at humanandholy at gmail.com. In today's episode, I bring you an interview with Frady Yonover, a scholar who talks about her own intimate experience with tragedy that brought her face-to-face with God. Frady speaks about how our personal challenges can nudge us towards a deeper experience of God in our lives, and how they can be flags or signs that tell us where we need to go. I'm Frady Anover. I am an EFT practitioner and a teacher of... Kabbalah and mysticism, Hasidut, and made contemporary. So my goal in teaching is always to bring the ideas of Hasidus into contemporary thought, which is never a struggle, so that they can be absorbed and used in our present time. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay, so I'm excited to do that today. I'd love if you could introduce the idea that we're going to discuss. My understanding, I suppose, is reinterpreted through my experience, is that Hasidus is understood to be a teaching, an esoteric teaching, and a philosophy, and yet esoteric. How then does it become the medium through which we live our daily lives? And I think it's a really good question because I think that there comes a point in time when someone like myself, and I speak only for myself right now, has to make that transition from philosophical thought 
to practical implementation of Hasidic teachings. There is a Hasidic lifestyle and there is Hasidic teachings. Of course, they mesh and Mm. they blend and there is a harmony. But one can live a Hasidic lifestyle without really delving deeply into Hasidic teachings. And even if one is living a Hasidic lifestyle and is studying Hasidut, there is still a need to become one with that which you are studying. I'll explain it through personal experience. I was born religious. I was born into a Hasidic lifestyle and a very strong Hasidic lifestyle. My home was permeated with a lifestyle of Hasidut as well as the teachings and the study of Hasidut. My father, if the audience is familiar with Lessons in Tanya, authored Lessons in Tanya. I cannot even relate to a life that was somehow not reflective or beyond that even representative of the constancy of Hasidut and a relationship with the Rebbe, which is part and parcel of that in my very young years and upbringing. But I do believe that it was not until I was a 23-year-old woman married with one child, expecting my second, and was suddenly struck by, I'll use the common word, tragedy, with the loss of my then very young husband, that I actually started to forge a relationship with God through the study of Hasidus. And I think that there are several such moments in our lives when suddenly we become much more conscious, and perhaps that's exactly what it is. It's a an expansion of consciousness by virtue of a life experience that, in effect, appears tragic to the very naked eye, but upon closer inspection is in really ultimately an opportunity to connect to God and to become closer in one's relationship with God and to explore that relationship. I would say that until the age of 23, I was an observant Jewess. I was a Hasidic Mm. Jewess. I was a practicing Jewess, but I didn't have a strong relationship. Did I believe? Absolutely. Did I even trust? And I separate those for a reason, but did I even trust? Absolutely. But did I have an intense and intimate personal relationship with God? No. And that experience, that challenge, that, again, to the naked eye tragedy became a catalyst for The question, the question was not why for me. I didn't ask why this happened to me. I asked what, because I had been brought up to understand that everything is divine providence and everything is for a purpose and life is full of meaning and every event is meaningful. And so 
what? What was this about? And when this event took place, which was earlier on in the year when my late husband passed, it was Cheshvan. And my father and I together wrote a letter to the Rebbe. My mother was still alive, but particularly I remember it being that my father and I wrote to the Rebbe. My father had a concern that this book, the Sefer Lessons in Tanya, Shiurim B'Sefer HaTanya, that had just come out in print, had somehow created a spiritual decree upon his family, much like when the Alter Rebbe, Rabshner Zalman of Liadi, was sent to prison for spreading Hasidus. I think that was my father's concern, that this shocking event maybe had something to do with that. He was writing because of that. Of course, we were writing to the Rebbe because the Rebbe was our constant the term North Star comes to mind, but yes, much more than a North Star. And I was writing because I needed to know what. The Rebbe responded to me, a 23-year-old who my son was born two weeks after my husband passed away. Now my daughter was two and a half years old. The Rebbe responded wow. to me with the words from Kohelet. Samachti where the quote is, I rejoiced and I made others rejoice. Imagine sending a 23-year-old girl a mission to not just be happy, to find happiness, but to also make others happy when she had just lost the love of her youth. That's a tall order. And yet I took this as a very clear what, because I had been brought up in a philosophy of what. Chassidus teaches, or a Hasidic lifestyle is about the what of our lives, what we are here for. We are here for a very distinctive purpose. What is it? And that's what we seek to know. And the Rebbe, I was very grateful that the Rebbe was able to answer my what. I love that question that you said. Instead of why, it's basically what now? Like, instead of asking why of God, we ask, okay, so now what do I do with my life? So... That what needed deeper exploration. And the reason it needed deeper exploration was because God had poked a finger in a very personal way into my life. So isn't that interesting that we live our lives with God, we pray, we do mitzvot, we are constantly engaging on a, I'll use this word, religious level, on an observant level. But in fact, are we engaging with our creator? With that, are we engaging with our deeper selves? Because until we engage with God, we are not engaged. We are ourselves not engaged. 
And I want to make the point that I grew up, as I said, in a, in a home with a Hasidic lifestyle, but surrounded by Hasidic teachings. The enthusiasm in my home was when a sefer, an old transcription from one of the previous Chabad Rebbes was discovered, sent to the United States, wow. printed. That was excitement. I can distinctly remember I was a young girl. I was in the car in the back seat. My brother and my father were in the front seat, and they were excitedly talking about a safer that had recently been printed. That was the enthusiasm. Family and Hasidus and what the Rebbe wanted of us. So it wasn't like the learning was not there, but the engagement was different. And I needed to understand why God presented himself in such an intimate way in my life. And so mm -hmm. at that time, probably not long before, the Rebbe had requested, I know that requests started in the 70s. I know Rabbi Simon Jacobson worked on this very, very distinctly. The Rebbe had requested a compilation of the writings of the Tzemach Tzedek, that an anthology of his writings should be prepared. And this must have come into print either shortly before I was married. Yeah, I imagine so. I was married in the early 80s. And this set of books sat on my bookshelf along with all the other Hasidic literature that we are so blessed to have. And I pulled out one of the books. They go in the order of the alphabet, in the Hebrew alphabet, the Aleph base. I pulled out a book looking for an, a deeper understanding of what is a Nisayon, a challenge. And read remarkably how the Tzemach Tzedek, the Tzemach Tzedek was the third Rebbe in the Chabad dynasty, the grandson of the Alter Rebbe, how the Tzemach Tzedek spoke about, and I, I know that this teaching goes back to the Alter Rebbe as well, spoke about the idea of a Nisayon, a test in Hebrew, a Nisayon being a challenge, being associated grammatically with the word nace, which is a miracle. And he speaks wow. about the fact that the idea of a nisayon is there or the reason, and I'm simplifying this a little because the writings of the Tzemach Tzedek are very esoteric and very Kabbalistic, so I'll simplify. But the idea that a challenge is in fact a source of opportunity to lift our eyes beyond the ordinary and to be able to see the miraculous. Again, the word wow. nisayon is challenge, miracle is nace, but lifting our eyes is also mm. of the root word nace, nun samach, because in the desert, as we traveled, the tribes followed one another and kind of kept an eye on each other, traveling in such huge number. 
with presentation of a flag. And I love imagery. For me, imagery is the most important thing in the study of Hasidus. So I, I like to create imagery. I don't do it as much, I guess, anymore, but it helps in teaching. And the image of someone standing in the airport collecting a group or a tour guide, right? Holding up a flag so that your group knows to follow you. Mm. So the idea was that each tribe had a flag. And that flag also is referred to as nace, a nace, same root of the word nisayon, same root as the word nace, miracle. And the Kabbalists teach us that when we find words in Torah that are of the same letters, even permutated differently, God created the world with the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So those words are significant in their relationship to one another. So when I had an understanding of what a challenge was, I could say I then began a true relationship with God. Now, a relationship isn't always smooth. Sometimes a relationship is stormy. Sometimes you need some space. Not that we can really get space from God, but in the intention. You can try. Forging a relationship with God did not necessarily mean that it was always a a loving relationship from my side. But I did understand that everything that occurred was about divine love was about my growth, the lessons to be learned, the path in life to be lived. The wording that you brought out about Nisayan is so powerful. That idea that when a miracle happens, we look to something beyond this world because we say, oh, there's more than meets the eye. And that when a challenge happens, often that pushes people to do the same, to say, there is something beyond my life. There is something bigger than me outside of myself that has orchestrated these actions. So that correlation between the two and the way that you can see the challenge, not only as the negative implications on your life, but also as that deeper connection to a higher being is really powerful. I am wondering if I may ask if that gave you comfort at the time of the intense challenge. If it gave me comfort It gave me direction and purpose. Okay. I think that we need to live our lives very humanly. I'm a very human being. Having shared all of this spirituality, I am and remain deeply rooted to the earth, more rooted to the sea, but deeply rooted to reality. And I want to answer you honestly There must have been an element of comfort. I am sure that there was an element of comfort, but that would not change the fact that I mourned very deeply at the same time. There's a comfort in knowing that your life and the events in your life all have such great purpose. There, there is a comfort. Yeah. I love your answer. One of the things that became very important for me, and again, when I say for me, I share it only as an opportunity for someone else to be able to take 
something from this. But one of the things that became important, very important, as I began to counsel, and which started very early on in life, the truth is that when a person experiences a tragedy, and I will say this, that when I lost Yossi, tragedies like this were not common, thank God, in our community. It was so rare and so shocking. But of course, it it thrust me into a certain position and perhaps my personality. It thrust me into the position of being there for others who needed solace of whatever kind. And so I began counseling others very, very young and teaching. But the one thing that became vitally important was the realization that An experience comes to us for many reasons, and we've discussed some, but one of the many is so that we know how to be there for others. And even in that lies tremendous purpose. My experience means that I now have a source of empathy that no one else has please God, for someone else in my position or even in some position like mine. And I think that this is really one of the whys, if we want to know why, we experience the challenges that we do. Because if we have this experience, we can be there for others. And that, I believe, is a very, very vital lesson. I'd like to add this. It's not a single event in your life that throws you into the awareness that I am not quite engaged in my relationship with God. Because when time passes, and this happens naturally, we kind of fall back into old habits and patterns. We're different. We've grown, but we slide. And everyday living demands our attention. And so the intensity of the attention that we attach to an event calms and at some level passes. And so it isn't once that we reclaim that relationship. And this is very much like marriage where there's the constant renewal. You know, there's the mitzvah of mikvah that creates renewal on one level, but in every relationship reflective of our relationship with God, there are opportunities of renewal and The experience of that renewal, again, happened for me probably oftentimes, maybe with important birthdays, etc., but definitely on Gimel Tammuz when the Rebbe passed and everything became discombobulated. There was suddenly this large question mark as though the only direction one could walk in was a question mark. Because what did this mean? And the experience that I had at that time, 
and am forever grateful for was even though I had begun studying Hasidus and learning and engaging with God, and I look at it really as the opportunity to become a Baal Tshuva, because when we engage with God, when we're born into it, and the engagement is just natural, it is rote at some level, it is habit. And that's not a very lofty level of expressing a relationship. So I had begun studying in, in depth, but Gimel Tammuz became a real question mark. And I needed to dig really deep and something fascinating happened. And this is a personal share. On some level, it became a very public reality. And I'll explain. I was at the time living in South Africa. I had the privilege of bringing my children up in Johannesburg, South Africa, with probably what I have experienced until now, what is one of the warmest, most loving communities in the Chabad spectrum of communities. I'm sure there are others, but this one is unique. And that's where I was living when this date occurred in our lives. Of course, everyone was in such a state of confusion to have suddenly have the Rebbe removed from our midst. And remember, I grew up with this. I grew up living. I lived with the Rebbe. Sometimes as a girl, I was at prayers just because I wanted to be during the week, whether it was a mincha or an evening prayer. That was just because I wanted to be there. I lived blocks away from 770 Eastern Parkway. And that was my reality. That was the reality of life. And it enriched life incredibly, probably not in a way that we recognized because we thought this was our normal. But when this date occurred and I was so lost, a window opened in my study and I suddenly was able to learn in a way that I had never been able to learn before with understanding I had never had before. I was a young mother. I had young children. I was doing things like learning at four o'clock in the morning, getting up very, very early. I don't do this now. I love the fact that my children are grown and I don't have to wake up early anymore. Yay. But I was getting up (laughs) four o'clock in the morning to study. And I took that study out. I took it to the community and we learned together and we engaged in our divine relationship together. So it's not just once that this occurs, which might provide the answer for if one asks, so if God challenged me and I reached out to him, why did he challenge me again? What was the purpose Mm -hmm. of that? And again, and that's the answer because we do disengage a little. We fall into patterns and habits And we need to rejuvenate that very intimate relationship that we can have with God. So we're speaking about how at a time of challenge, at a time of Nisayon, we could use that as an opportunity to look upward towards God, to have a relationship and to look outward towards the world and see how we could use our pain in a manner of purpose. What advice would you give 
for someone to actively engage if God isn't sending that challenge, but to actively help ourselves look upward and outward, even when it isn't being given to us, but we obviously only want to experience real good in our lives. So how do we actively engage again and again and again and again without needing that external? Absolutely. 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 So there are two things I'd like to say. One of them is once I had studied this and really explored this both through the teachings of the Tzemach Tzedek, as well as through a particular Hasidic discourse of the Alter Rebbe, where he talks about this idea of challenge and God being the one who provides good only, but in its descent into this world, it takes on the cloak of bad. And that's a broader discussion. So I was teaching that. And in the very beginning years of when I taught that idea, I used to say that I'm speaking about challenges and I want you to know that I'm speaking from a point of reference of knowing what a challenge is because not everybody has been challenged. And where would I come off talking about growing from challenge in my relationship with God if I hadn't experienced challenge? So while I wouldn't share necessarily what the challenge was, I would always say I was speaking from a point of awareness, of knowledge, of self-awareness and personal experience. You know, I don't say that anymore because I don't know anyone who hasn't experienced real intimacy with God by way of a challenge. So that's number one. You asked, how do we do this without a challenge? And I would challenge you by saying, I'm not sure that living today is ever without challenge. So therein lies a constant need and a constant desire and striving to really get intimate with God because there is this constant, if we are tuned into life and to the lives of others around us, And beyond that, to the global reality of the world, which as Jews, we are here, you know, we we say this, Asher bara Elohim la'asot that God created to make. And we say, why don't we conclude the statement that God rested on the Shabbat? Because he finished his work. He finished and it's complete. Where are we leaving space for la'asot to yet do? That's our work. And then you ask, well, what if we're not experiencing challenge? How would we then be engaging? And for this, my answer might become a little Chabad-centric. So I apologize, but it's definitely something that can be understood and used for anyone. I'm currently very, very privileged to be teaching the Rebbe Sichas on a weekly basis through a project that was started. We're now in our third cycle. It's called Project Lukutei Sichot. Lukutei Sichot is the compilation of the Rebbe's addresses that he gave throughout his lifetime. There are numerous, numerous volumes. And a decision was taken by some very courageous young shluchim to start a project where in the course of eight years, 
everyone who wanted would be able to learn through the entire set of volumes of the Rebbe's talks. And from the very beginning, I was on board as the female teacher. There are many rabbis teaching, and there are other female teachers. So I teach one sicha a week. And here is where I'm answering you. When I learn a sicha, there are copious footnotes on the bottom of the presentation, of the written presentation. These footnotes were added by the Rebbe himself. They were pointed out by the Rebbe himself, who checked these sichot, who went through them, made corrections, changes, and they were rendered ultimately by Hasidim in writing, but the, with the Rebbe's consent and authorization, and he looked over all of them. And so I believe that when we study we need to go deeper. We cannot study at a peripheral level. Study at a peripheral level does not satiate the soul and does not allow us intimacy with God. It remains at the periphery of my existence. I won't use the word superficial because that's not respectful and not true, but it doesn't permeate my understanding, it doesn't allow me to fully grasp what the message is in what I study. And so there is a need to go deeper. Now, these references and sources and footnotes that are so copious at the bottom of the writings, at the bottom of these sikhot, and I say bottom because I'm envisioning a page and copious footnotes at the bottom of that page, are references to Talmud, references to Kabbalah, references to Midrash, references to different halachic teachers and masters. So I think that the answer, Tanya, to your question is, Obviously, we're going on the understanding, and I'm going on the understanding, that the answer to the question of how do I become intimate with God is by the study of Torah. Of course, with the performance of mitzvot, but that's another conversation, and not necessarily the one we're having, is by the study of Torah. But we cannot study at a peripheral level. We need to really go deeper. Does it mean pulling out a book in Aramaic? Not necessarily. Does it mean approaching a teacher or even a friend and saying, I studied this, I want to persevere, I want to pursue what I think I understood? Will you pursue this with me? Will you go deeper with me? You can do it on your own, certainly. And I have to say that I I, I don't learn well with a chavruta. I am just that kind of individual. I learn best on my own. I, I like it. Maybe I like the challenge. But my chavrutot are my books and my sources. So never allow yourself to be diminished by studying at just a peripheral level. Go deeper. Go deeper. For me, that's the most authentic answer that I can give. I appreciate that. 
it's your unique perspective also Mm -hmm. clearly based on your life experiences as someone who has gone deeper in your studies and has obviously seen the fruits of your labor. I think that will definitely resonate with people who feel the urge to go deeper, but don't necessarily feel that it's a priority in their life. I'd love if we could end off by taking a step back to those who are experiencing deep challenge, to those who are experiencing the Nisayan in their lives. I loved your answer when you said that maybe it gave you some measure of comfort, mostly it gave you direction. Mm. So what advice would you give for someone really living in that space right now? Someone listening who's living in that space of pain, challenge, directed at them from God. How can they find direction through the tears? How can they find purpose through the pain? I'm moved to say, call me. I know that's not the answer you're looking for. Mm. (laughs) So we'll go beyond that. But don't hesitate to reach out. There are two things I'd like to say. One is allow yourself to experience the pain. There is no need and no call for martyrdom when a challenge presents itself, when God sends a challenge in our direction. He intends for us created human beings to experience the pain, the mourning, the loss with every fiber of our beings. But we are blessed with intellect and consciousness. So maybe, maybe, and I know that a wiser person than me would perhaps challenge this, but maybe a suggestion while you feel and experience the mourning and the challenge and God should protect all of us, please God, there should be no challenges that hurt, just challenges that allow us to grow in our relationship with God without pain. If one is experiencing challenge while you are allowing yourself to really be in that space of emotion and pain, use the blessing of your head to begin to seek direction and the what of the challenge. Maybe this is why our heads and our hearts are separated by a neck which can turn in a different direction because my emotions will overwhelm me and my emotions are real and strong and no one can deny you your emotions and the way you are experiencing your pain. But see if you can't give thought to the what and the direction and the purpose because in the challenge lies your next move, lies your next journey in life. Wow. That was gorgeous. That visual of the mind being separated by the neck that can choose where to move was beautiful. Really beautiful, really moving. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for sharing your life. Absolutely. It was my honor and a privilege and very humbling. I'm going to finish with this. I want you to know that when you sent me the link to your podcasts, Since you sent them, I've probably spent about nine hours listening 
So I feel very humbled to be here. Not sure I deserve to be here, but I listened and absorbed and took in and was so inspired. Thank you. Well, I'm so happy to hear nine hours. The fact that you listened and enjoyed means a lot. So thank you. Thank you for being here. You not only deserve to be here, I am honored to have you here. So thank you. And it was absolutely beautiful. Pleasure. Have a wonderful day. Our challenges can be flags, waving us towards where we need to go. They can be miracles that help us lift our eyes beyond the mundanity of our world. They can turn us towards another person and allow us to empathize with someone's pain. Within your challenge lies your next journey. Frady said that instead of asking why, she asks, what now? Her tragedy led her to push past her peripheral study and deepen her interactions with God. Her tragedy thrust her into a life of private leading, empathizing deeply with those who seek her counsel. What flag is God waving in your life? What miracles or hardships are asking you to look beyond the surface? What is that next journey, that flag that beckons you to a new purpose and mission? Where is God asking you to go? Elokai zakinina betoratcha uvimitzotecha lechaberet nishmati tamidlecha mechaber mechaber. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find me on Instagram at human and holy or via email at human and holy at gmail dot com. New episodes of the podcast come out every single Sunday morning. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode and could take a quick second to leave a rating or review, it means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day. <laughs>